Welcome to the Class of 1987 podcast. I'm your host, Tim Harkness. On this podcast, we will be speaking with members of the Yale College Class of 1987 about their lives, where they've been, where they are now, and where they are going. We plan to cover a wide range of topics and have people who represent the full range of our class's experience. The class of 1987 is the best class that Yale College has ever had, and we're here to celebrate that. So sit back and listen to what your classmates have to say. And welcome to the next edition of the Y87 podcast. With me is our classmate, Margot Pave. Margot, welcome. Nice to be here, Tim. That's great. So where are you? What are you up to these days? I am in D.C., And what am I up to? I am up to persevering through the pandemic, basically, aren't we all? (laughs) Yes, I think we all are. Um, I guess actually the the proper alliteration would be persevering professionally and parentally through the pandemic. What are you doing professionally? Because I want to talk to you about your parenthood, but well, just generally, what are you doing professionally? Before we get there. So it it will likely not come as a huge surprise to anyone who knew me at Yale. I am a lawyer and I am working and have been working since law school on behalf of working folks. I started out, I was a partner in private practice for a number of years. And then I went to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission as assistant general counsel there. And then in January of 2017, I left the EEOC and went out on my own. And since then, I've been doing consulting and independent contracting, all on issues related to employment, um, both for individuals and unions and also organizations and small businesses that are seeking to actually do the right thing and, and create fair and good workplaces. So as I said, not that far afield from what you probably remember of me in college. So, no, that's probably fair. So, um, you know, I think it sounds like you've found something that you're really quite passionate about. I, You know, people can only hear your voice, but I can also see you, you know, and you sort of look like you sparkle when you talk about what you do. So good for you. So the one thing I did want to talk to you about today is the fact that you are a parent, but a lot of us are parents. And I think what's more remarkable is that you're a later in life parent. That is such a lovely way of putting it. <laughs> I'm an old mom. <laughs> well, I, let's not judge. I have my, I have my sister who's one year younger than us who has six and a half year old twins. So, you know, it happens. I love her. Yay. I love her too. And I love our nieces and it's an adventure. So tell us about your children and sort of what happened. Well, yeah, and you are, I am delighted to hear about your sister because she sounds like she's almost the same trajectory as I, except perhaps not as a single mom. Um, But yes, I mean, I think one of the reasons you and I are speaking is because I suspect I am probably the only member of the class of 87 who embarked on single parenthood at the ripe old age of 48. So yes, I have twin eight and a half year olds. And I adore them and they make me nuts. And it's, you know, all as it should be. But it's an interesting experience. I will say, I don't think, I mean, I know this was not how I had envisioned parenthood happening. 
it's interesting. I was never the person who was like, oh, I can't wait to have kids and, you know, envisioning exactly how it would be. But I think I always sort of assumed it. And then when that didn't happen, at some point I sort of was like, oh, I think if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to do this on my own. And I did. I have to say that when I envisioned it, I didn't expect twins. So that was a twist, but a happy twist. You know, it's funny. I Our youngest is 17, so we're in a very different place as far as in the parenthood spectrum. So I guess I have so many questions. The first one I have, I was going to just say, what were you thinking? But um, I, I can understand. Not clearly, obviously. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there had to be some trepidation. How did you balance the anxiety that I'm sure you felt? Um, and maybe you didn't. But, you know, how did you balance the unknown, the the embarking on this at 48. How'd you think about that? I think in part, I'm not sure I thought about it as deeply as perhaps I should have. I knew it would be challenging. I don't know that I realized how challenging it would be. And while that's sort of special to single parenthood, I sometimes think that that's true of parenthood in general, right? I mean, I think even the most prepared parents aren't actually prepared, right? I mean, your children are always changing and are never quite doing what the books say or don't, you know, quote, say they're going to do. So I think on some level, none of us is truly prepared. <laughs> yes, I think that's definitely true for me. You know, I, 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 and I think if, we're, if parents are honest, it's true for pretty much all of us. I do think without, you know, in all honesty, I was not as ready for the how hard it would be for those first, I would say, 18 months to two years. And I do think that is this hardest time for a truly single parent. And I say truly single as opposed to someone who is perhaps separated or divorced or, you know, but the someone cult. who is truly doing it on his or her own mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and even more so with twins you know, that period of time when they're not sleeping. And in the case of one of my children, my daughter had all sorts of digestive issues. So every night was screaming and that sort of thing. I don't think I was prepared for. I have to say it's probably just as well I wasn't because I don't know that I would have embarked on it if I had known. Right. You know, they, they always say that for people who have multiple kids, that you sort of forget that first year or two, and that's so that you can have another one. And so in the same sense, I think, but I made it through. And I think some of that was sheer stubbornness, right? Because I had to make it through. And what the hell else are you going to do? you got two children. You do what you have to do. I also think that in some ways, doing it later in life one of the benefits certainly was that, so for example, professionally, I mean, I went back to work when they were four months old, which again, as a single parent, I sort of had to, but because I was where I was at that point, I was a partner at a law firm and I could say, I will be leaving at five o'clock, right? And I didn't have to worry 
well, what will that do for my career trajectory? What will the senior partners think? What will, you know, sorry, I'm out of here, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I could have done that in the same way 10 years earlier. So in that sense, perhaps the laterness of my pregnancy and childbearing was helpful. I think that there's a physicality to the raising of the truly little people that I didn't understand. And we we had our kids really in our thirties. So, you know, there still was exhausting physically, but I find as I become an older parent, uh, like just, I mature with my children, like I have so much more perspective and I imagine you brought that with your girl. So your, your so children, you have more. a boy and a girl perspective, like uh, an idea maturity. And, ability to understand what really is important and what's like, oh, okay, that's something I can let go because it's like, is it really that important? Um, I, I certainly try to do that. Um, some days I'm better at that than others. Again, I, I, I'd love to say that with age comes wisdom, um, and it does, but, you know, I'm as guilty as the next parent sometimes of overreacting to things. I also think I was lucky um, in the sense that, so first of all, I had gone back to dancing. I had danced seriously before college and I had gone back. So physically, prior to getting pregnant, I had been taking ballet classes three times a week. I had actually been performing with a small amateur company here. So that physical piece of it, I was actually in good shape when I had my kids. I mean, I continued class until I was about six months pregnant. And so I actually think that helped, right? The physical piece of it, I was in some ways in better shape than certainly than I had been in my 20s. And so that helped. But you are right. I mean, I definitely found, you know, when they were little, the weekends were a lot harder than the weekdays, right? When I could go to go to work, even on God knows how few hours of sleep, you know, single parent of twins feeding them all night long. I sometimes wonder how I made it, but it was actually easier to make it during the week because it was less demanding to, to do my work than to parent full time. So, you know, that's true at any age, I think. So, do having children, and it's hard to say, but maybe based on your conversations with, with others, do you think having children at this age has changed your perspective on life, the way you, you perceive the world? Well, it's changed my perspective in one way. I want to live to be really, really, really old because, you know, <laughs> I want to see my grandkids. I want to, you know, so in that sense, I think I may be more aware of that. So I am the child of older parents. I have a sister who's 15 and a half years older than I am. So my parents were on the older side for our cohort. Mm -hmm. And so it was a little less strange for me, I think, than it might be for some. Um, and my, you know, my mother who passed away in August of 2020 lived to be in her 90s. So I'm hopeful, right? I'm like, hey, I, I, I got the genes. Let, let's hope they, they see me through. But I do think, you know, to be serious about it, I do think there is a level at which I may be a little more, I don't want to say relaxed, but a little 
a little less obsessive about every little aspect of child rearing. I think I'm a little more able to just let things be. They, you know, the kids are the kids are going to be okay. And I think part of that is as an older parent, I have seen my friends parent their kids and I have seen kids who go through all sorts of different things and they're all okay now, right? I mean, and and I'm not talking about serious medical conditions. I mean, there are things that you should obsess over. But I feel like the much more mundane stuff of, oh my God, are they doing okay in school? Like, are they being social enough? Are they outgoing enough? Are they thinking, they're gonna be fine, right? And I think part of that is having seen others go through it. I get to watch it before I do it in a sense. Yeah. I get to screw it up in my own special way. Right. Right. (laughs) Oh, I still get to screw it up. Don't get me wrong. And you know, you know, I think it is more than once have I thought to myself that I am keeping some future psychiatrist, you know, in a really nice house. Right. Cause maybe two, right. Cause my kids are each going to go to their own. But I do think that I do bring that, that sort of perspective um, that might, have been lacking had I had the children earlier. So, you know, what kind of um, what kind of world do you want for your kids, and then how do you create that world around them? Ooh, huh? <laughs> do you have a while? You know, I'm not all that different than the the me you remember. Um, I'd like to see a more just world. I'd like to see a world where there are fewer hungry people and more housed people and a lot less fighting and a lot less racism and a lot less injustice all the way around. And I feel like I try to do that at the micro level and the macro level. I have always been very sort of open and upfront with my kids. I spoke to them probably when they were too young to really fully understand what I was saying about things Like, you know, they were quite young when the George Floyd murder occurred. And I talked to them about it. And we are lucky enough that we are at a school, it's a public charter school here in DC that is very diverse and also very open. I mean, I remember having a conversation with my son. His BFF is a young African American boy. And I remember having a conversation with him in which I said, you know, when you guys get a little older, when you're like 10 or 12 and you go into a store with him, people in the store who own the store may follow him around in a way that they would never follow you. And do you understand why that might happen to him? Right. And I have those conversations and I have those conversations in great part because I want my children to be part of the solution, right? Part of making that world that I want to see for them. That I brought them in, yeah, I they were there at the Women's March in 2017, me with their little double stroller, you know? Mm-hmm. But I also do it in, in a sense, in the way I feel like my parents did it with me, which is just by modeling, right? I mean, again, we are lucky that we are in a school with a huge mix of people, both racially mixed, economically mixed, background mixed. We have immigrants and non-immigrants. And the fact that 
you know, that's normal. And they treat it as normal because I treat it as normal. So I think, you know, again, I professionally try to do it in the wider world. And I, as a parent, try to do it as, at home, mm-hmm. um, you know, to con along, right? Repair the world. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the conversation. Please remember that this podcast is being brought to you by the 35th reunion of the greatest class Yale College has ever known, the great class of 1987. Our reunion will be in New Haven, Connecticut, June 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Pearson College. We hope to see you there. Now, back to the conversation. So has being a parent changed the way you approach uh, the issues you wrestle with at work? Does it make you more empathetic? Do you understand things more? Or do you have a different perspective on any of the legal issues that you deal with? I think it makes me angrier, actually. How so? So I think I had hoped anyway that, especially since I had kids later, that they would be growing up in a different world than I grew up in. And I feel like in many ways, we've taken so many steps back. So my mother was the second female editor at Business Week. There was one other when she became an editor. And I sort of always thought that, you know, if I had a daughter, right, things would be better for me. And by the time I had a daughter, it would be smooth sailing, right? And so... It's not. (laughs) And that is frustrating, maybe, and angering, right? I I feel like it does feel like we're backsliding. And I fear, actually, for my kids. I see what happened a year ago on January 6th. I see what's happening around us. And that does reverberate in my professional life, right? Mm -hmm. And some of what I deal with every day in terms of how employees are treated in terms of what are is happening at the corporate level. Some of it's great, and that gives me hope, but some of it isn't. And I guess I had hoped that I would feel more positive and hopeful for my kids' future than I do. Does that change the way you counsel the people you counsel? Because you said earlier that there are some of the companies you're dealing with are trying to get it right. And it sounds like some of them, I mean, I see it in my professional life. There are some companies who are doing quite a bit and there's some who are doing very little and there's some who want to do things. They just don't know what to do. Yes. And I think, I don't know, I don't know if it directly affects how I counsel. I'm not sure it does. I mean, I agree with you that I think You know, I think there are a number of entities, a number of businesses and companies that really do want to get it right. And it brings me joy, actually, to work with those organizations, to be able to help them do it right. Uh, Because, I mean, I'm, you know, it's, it's not easy. There are a lot of hoops, right? And even if you want to do it right, if you don't know how, you can't. So, it makes it makes me happy to work with them, but I don't know that I would say that my parenting directly affects that. Interesting. Yes, I found that when I talk to particularly younger people and younger parents about that first few years of being a parent, and I think back to 
the challenges that we had. I mean, the regular challenges like the lack of sleep and shuttling people to every different activity under the sun on the weekends, that kind of thing. I find myself being more empathetic to them just because I can identify with it in a way that I don't think I could have necessarily. I could understand it intellectually, but the emotional and physical parts of parenthood, I don't think I personally, maybe I'm just not that empathetic, um, is I couldn't have understood it unless I had lived it, if that makes sense. So I go to my younger colleagues who are now in the midst of that period in their lives, and I think about the issues differently. And I certainly think about things like maternity leave and those kinds of issues completely differently now that we have teenagers, because one of the things with children when they're younger is like they do have rhythms on their needs and their needs tend to be physical. And when they get a little older, their needs change and are, at least I found, less predictable. So I give a lot more grace to people with kids at different parts of their lives because I've been there too. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And maybe I was lucky. I always had that level of empathy. I always understood the needs of parenting workers. And so I think to that extent, that didn't change. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think the one thing that did change is my ability to, or to be organized, right? And that's less my interaction with others and more my own work. The ability, you know, one of the reasons I could say I'm leaving at five is because I stopped wasting time you know, it, it was amazing to me. And I think that's true of many parents. I don't think that's just the result of being an older parent. I do think, however, it may well be a result of being a single parent. I mean, I think that when you know that you can't call your husband and say, hey, I'm going to have to stay late. Can you go home? You know, can you get the kids? Can you, you, you just figure out a way to get it done. Right, um, right. And so I have become a much more organized person, um, you know, and have learned the extent to which you can get things done in two hours that you thought would take three and a half. Yeah. So are there any things that your children have brought into your life that surprised you? Things that they're into that now you know about that you didn't really focus on before, that kind of thing? So I think they've actually opened my eyes to all sorts of things. They're both incredibly curious. And I find myself actually wondering what our parents did because the number of times I'm hopping on Google to answer the questions that they come up with that I have no idea. You know, why do starfish have five arms? I, I, I don't know. They just do, you know, or what's, you know, what, you know, they're just incredible questions. And I think what they have brought to me is a realization that we as human beings are just born with this amazing curiosity and this amazing ability to think and wonder and assess. You know, when people talk about seeing the world through your kids' eyes, before I was a parent, I sort of thought that meant you know, seeing sort of literally getting down to their level, you know, but it's more, the world is incredible, right? Things we just take for granted when they start asking these questions and I start wondering like, why is this word like this in English, but it's like this in Spanish? 
Uh, well, they're both Latin based. Yeah, but they're not the same. Okay, I'm going to Google. I'm checking it out. And I really, I know I asked questions like that. And it gives me so much appreciation for our parents who had to come up with answers, right? Because there was no Google, right? And so I think they've really humbled me in a sense too, right? I don't care that I went to Yale. I don't know these answers, right? I don't know that any of us do. I did not take a starfish class at Yale, that's for sure. Exactly. I wouldn't even know how to start answering that question. Well, you know, some of it, I start with the easy stuff of sort of like, well, evolution, right? It probably helped this being to have those number of arms. But, you know, and, and then, of course, the deeper questions, right? You know, when they start with the, so what is God? I'm like, really? We're already there? I didn't realize I was going to have to be answering that question. And this has been going on for a couple of years now. I didn't realize that like people started asking this at like the age of four. Oh, yeah. So I do have to laugh. And I will tell you this one story that is so specific to being a single parent. Like we all do. I got the questions pretty early about like, so where do I come from? Right. And as I told you, I'm very upfront with my kids. And so probably before they really could quite grasp it, I explained that, you know, You need something from a man and something from a woman. And since I was doing this alone, I had to go to a special place to get this thing from the man and use the word sperm bank and so forth. When they were in about kindergarten, my son was on a play date with a little friend of his. And when I went to pick them up or pick him up, Melissa, the mom, said, oh, my God, I have to tell you this story, Margo, and got me away from the kids and explained that her son had said to Jacob, so like, you know, who's your dad? And Jacob had said, well, I don't have a dad. And Milo, the little boy was like, well, but you have to have a dad. And he's like, no, I don't have a dad. And Milo said, well, so, so, but how then, like, how did your mom get, you know, what she needed? Because clearly Milo also knew. And Melissa imitated my son who with a deep sigh at the age of five said, she went to a sperm bank. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So there's an experience that I doubt, you know, is common, but you know, it's again, they learn quickly. They do. And they don't get so fussed about some of the things that other people get fussed about. Absolutely. It didn't freak him out. And they're completely comfortable with it, which I agree with you. I think kids are so much more adaptable than we give them credit for. And most of their friends are too. You know, they're, they, oh, okay. That's the way it is, I guess. Yeah. Move on. So what do you, what do the three of you do for fun? Well, right now we sit and stare at our walls. Isn't that what everyone does right now in the world of pandemic? Well, we do a, we do a fair number of jigsaw puzzles and some board games. Well, yes, we we definitely do. We are definitely a puzzle family, so we've got puzzles going all the time. We also, when we can, we like to get out. We're also sort of a, a hiking family to the extent that little ones hike, but we like to get out. And we're lucky we're near parks and not too far from the outdoors. Um, So we do that a fair amount. And I have been on a baking tear recently. So the kids are perfectly happy with that too. Oh yeah. Um, What do you bake? uh, So 
mainly things that don't require yeast and rising because I don't have the patience. So a lot <laughs> okay. of quick breads, you know, cinnamon rolls, scones, muffins, banana bread, all that kind of stuff. Well, I think know? we're going to make you the chief baker for our reunion. <laughs> as long as I get some help. All right. Fair enough. So let me ask you one more question about this. Your faith and heritage seem to be a big part of who you are and who your family is. How does that translate into the way you parent your children? So it's funny, until you mentioned, I think in an earlier email that you were going to ask me this question, I don't think I had realized the extent to which that's true. I think it's so unconscious on my part. But once I started to think about it, I think it's a huge part of how I parent my children. I mean, I've always been proud to be Jewish, but I think it's also because I am an older and single parent, it's also one of the ways that I'm able to maintain a connection between my children and the folks who came before who, with the exception of my mother, they never had the chance to meet. So they already are aware and pre- I mean, we say pre- we say our Shabbos prayers every Friday night, um, but it's also things like I sing to them a Shabbos song that my father sang to me, which he learned from his father. And so that aspect of Judaism and of Lador Vador from generation to generation has become this huge part of our lives. And it's funny because I think you asked it in part because you probably see it on Facebook. And it is. I mean, I wasn't raised doing Shabbat, but I was very aware when I had the children that I wanted to raise them that way. Um, And I think a big piece of it is that connection to, I didn't need to, right? My, I had grandparents who'd come from the old country. I saw them every weekend. For my kids, this is part of being in that line, stretching way back, but also stretching not that far back. And so for me, it's a way of keeping their grandparents and their great-grandparents in their lives, even though they never had the chance to meet them. Um, so I think in that sense, it's actually a big part of how I parent. Um, and I thank you actually for asking the question because it made me aware of something I hadn't been aware that I was doing. And does the the Shabbos dinner also um, give you a moment just to eliminate technology? You're just present. Every Shabbat dinner I've ever been to, you're present with the people you're with. I think it does, although it's funny. Um, I started a tradition when they were very, very tiny, um, and I was I was a no-screen mom and would have stayed a no-screen mom were it not for the pandemic. I mean, we really had no screens in my house. Um, and I started a tradition that on Friday nights, after we light the candles and say the prayer over the candles and the wine, we actually watch a movie with dinner. So it is rather amusing that on Shabbat, when you're supposed to do without technology, I'm actually using the technology to bring us into a family. This is family night. We don't eat dinner and then each go off to our own corners to do whatever. We are together as a family on Shabbat. And so in that sense, technology is actually furthering for me anyway, that sense of Shabbat as a time to come together and sort of pause from the world around us. 
I recognize the rabbis might not agree with me, but hey, it's my world. <laughs> yeah, so I say it's your family. You get to run it the way you want. Um, that's terrific. So we got to the part of our podcast that we call the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a couple quick answer questions. Are there any classes at Yale do you think prepared you for motherhood? <laughs> oh, my Lord. No. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, are there any experiences at Yale that really resonate with you professionally or personally still to this day? Yes. I mean, still to this day. So academically, not surprisingly, Labor history with David Montgomery. Still, I live it every day. And, you know, personally, I think the experience of being so politically and socially active and those conversations about it in the dining halls. And what I mean by that is one of the things that we see so much right now is the inability for people to talk to each other, to talk about difficult issues, to bridge gaps. And I think all of those experiences I had sitting in Branford Dining Hall with people basically saying, well, I don't understand why they're on strike. It doesn't make any sense and it's just wrong. And being able to say, well, let's have a conversation about that. Let me explain what they feel is going on. And then you tell me, you know, and being able to talk across that and have conversations, I think to this day, I bring that to the work I do. Yeah, and that is such an important thing to be able to do. So final question. Are you raising your children to be Sally's, Peppy's, modern pizza fans, or are you agnostic? Are you, are you going to let them choose their own pizza? Oh, that's tough. I mean, it's it's a it's a key philosophical debate. Really. It is a key philosophical debate. I think I am going to allow them to choose in great part because that means I get to take them to each one <laughs> and have them taste Fair each enough. one, and then they can make an educated decision. Is there a right one? In my view, probably Sally's, but I, I really, I try my best, you know, I try my best to keep it open. Fair they, enough. They need to have the freedom to make their own choices in life. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This has really been delightful. Thank you. Oh, and if anyone has further questions about single parenthood in ancient hood, feel free to ask. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> In a world where people were isolated by a pandemic, forced to live their lives remotely in an endless parade of Zoom meetings, one Yale College class dared to break the mold. The Yale College class of 1987 is planning what no Yale College class has ever tried before, at least not for a while, an in-person reunion. June 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th, 2022, we will be gathering in Pearson College, be there for engaging discussions, nightly revelry, and way too much New Haven pizza, if there ever could be such a thing. We'll wrestle with age-old questions like, maybe I look better in a mask, what do you think? Who or what is a bula? What in the world am I going to do with no kids in the house? These questions and more will be answered at our 35th 
college reunion. Be there. One Yale college class dared to break the mold. That's it for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been the Y87 podcast, the official podcast of the greatest class that Yale College has ever known. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any comments or questions or would like to appear as a guest, please email me at timothy.p.harkness at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Such a thing. We'll wrestle with age-old questions like, maybe I look better in a mask. What do you think? Who or what is a bula? What in the world am I going to do with no kids in the house? These questions and more will be answered at our 35th college reunion. Be there. That's it for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been the Y87 podcast, the official podcast of the greatest class that Yale College has ever known. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any comments or questions or would like to appear as a guest, please email me at timothy.p.harkness at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.